passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. The book of Hebrews, it tells us sort of the importance of Jesus' resurrection. So take out your outline. We're going to start on the top. Just look at what the book of Hebrews says about this. The book of Hebrews says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through their fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Uh, Jesus came. Jesus died and Jesus rose from the grid to free us from our fear of death. Jesus came to turn our death, which is the most terrifying moment of our life, into the best moment of our life. Jesus came to change the moment of our death, which would normally be the moment of our judgment, to be the moment of our greatest forgiveness. This is why Jesus' resurrection is so incredibly important. You see, the entire Christian faith stands or falls based on the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Because if Jesus Christ's resurrection isn't true, the Christian faith, quite honestly, is a complete waste of your time and a complete waste of my time. But if it is true, it changes everything. It's our hope and it's our future. Now, in our day, we have so much fake news out there. We all know this, where the news is trying to manipulate people to get people to think certain things and to act certain ways. The question always comes up, the resurrection of Jesus, is that just an ancient version of fake news? Or is the resurrection of Jesus solid factual news that we can base our life upon? This morning, we're going to answer these two questions. What is the evidence that the resurrection is historical fact? And then we'll answer another question. What would happen if the resurrection actually turned out to be historical fiction? We're going to do that by looking at probably the best chapter about the resurrection in the Bible, which is 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to study the first 19 verses together. So I'm going to take the time to read 1 Corinthians 15, those 19 verses. Then we're going to go back and work our way through them as we study them. So if you could stand out of reverence for God's Word. If you want to follow along in your copy of God's Word, that's fine. I'm going to go ahead and read these first 19 verses. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. 
Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We were even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. That ends the reading of God's word. You can be seated. Remember the two questions we're going to answer this morning. Uh, What is the evidence for the facts of the resurrection? And the second question is, uh, what would happen if the resurrection wasn't historically true? If you notice, we read through those first 15 verses. The first 11 verses Paul gives us are the historical facts of the resurrection. that We know it can be true. And then verses 12 through 19 describes what would happen if the resurrection wasn't true. So we're just going to work through those two points and these 19 verses. If you have your outlines, we'll just start right at the top. What evidence supports the resurrection as a historical fact? And the first thing he gives us is this, which is the evidence of the church. That comes from the first two verses. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, this first piece of evidence for the resurrection being historically true is not explicitly stated in these verses, but it is implicitly stated in these verses. It is the fact that the Corinthians, and not just the Corinthians, but Christians everywhere, including you and me, When we heard the good news about Jesus' death for our sins, his burial, and then his resurrection on the third day, and when the Corinthian Christians trusted in Jesus to save them from their sin, and when you and I trusted in Jesus to save us from our sin, the result they experienced and the result we experienced were miraculously changed lives by Jesus. That is evidence that the resurrection of Jesus is true. Paul is essentially saying, you're wondering if Jesus rose from the dead? Just look at yourself. Look in the mirror. 
Look at the change that happened in your life when you trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to free you from your sin. Didn't he give you a new life? Didn't he miraculously change your life? The Corinthian Christians had lives radically changed by Jesus as soon as they trusted in Jesus. And Paul says that is evidence in and of itself that Jesus rose from the dead. Because he didn't just get new life on that resurrection Sunday, but he is in the business of giving people new life from his resurrection every day, even today. Now, in your outlines, jump down to the next set of verses. Paul says, let me remember what you guys used to be. He says this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adult, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, that's one who attacks another's reputation with their words, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you. That's what you used to be like. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He says, you guys used to be some really messed up people. Uh, you were homosexuals, you were cheats, you were drunks. That's what your life used to be like. But right now, aren't you different didn't that old lifestyle, wasn't it something you left behind as soon as you trusted in Jesus? And you left that old lifestyle behind, not on your strength. It wasn't your strength that changed you. It was God's strength that changed your life. His resurrection power changed your life. No, he says, I know you're not perfect people. We're not perfect people, but we are changed people because of Jesus. We were heading in one direction. We trusted in Jesus' death, resurrection from the dead, and we started heading in a different direction because Jesus changed our life. And that happened, he says, supernaturally. That is evidence that the resurrection actually happened. Now, if you go back up to the verse I skipped, Paul says this, in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Just as Jesus is the one who made this entire universe out of nothing in the book of Genesis, Jesus is the one who rose from the dead to new life in the Gospels. He made a new creation by rising from the dead. And he offers new creation life to you and to me. Now, you can try a lot of things in this life if you don't like who you are. Try a lot of things to, be, to become a, a new person. You can try to become a different person. Some of you may enter Weight Watchers and try to lose 15 pounds. Some of you may do herbal teas. Others of you may try essential oils. But I'll tell you, at the end of the day, you may be a slightly different person, but you won't be a changed person. But if you come to Jesus Christ, 
and you place your faith and trust in his death on the cross for your sins and his resurrection to new life to pay for your sins, you will supernaturally become a completely different person in that moment. And that is evidence that the resurrection took place. Nothing else changes your life like that other than trust in Jesus. You know it. The Corinthians knew it. For the last 2,000 years, people have mocked the church. People have said about the church, oh, they're trusting in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. That didn't happen. But here's the problem. Nobody seems to have an answer for how Jesus is still in the business of changing lives. As soon as people trust in him, they've been changed by him. Many radically, many dramatically heading one direction in life, heading now in another direction in life because Jesus made them into a new person. Nobody has an answer for that other than the fact that Jesus Christ is alive and he's still in the business of changing lives. Now, that's the first piece of evidence that Paul gives. Is look at the change in your own life. The next piece of evidence he gives for the fact of the resurrection being true is the evidence of the Bible. And it's in verses three through four. For I delivered to you, he says, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul says this message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the message I delivered to you. And it's not a message I designed or a message I created. It's just the message I heard, I received, and I delivered to you. And he says this message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, by the way, it's of first importance. This is the most important thing we need to know. And the truth is, that Jesus' death for our sin, his burial and his resurrection on the third day is the most important thing any pastor can preach. It's the most important thing any church can say because it is the message that when we believe it and trust it for ourselves is the message that actually changes our lives supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. Paul also says, this message that he received, he says it's something that he didn't make up. Now, let me give you some context here. The letter to 1 Corinthians, where he writes this, it's one of the first New Testament letters written. It was written approximately 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And this particular piece of truth that he is quoting in this letter about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the way it's put together, it, you notice he is quoting something that was given to him, yet that was only 20 years after the resurrection took place. Scholars who study this say what Paul is quoting at this point is known as an early church creed. Creeds were things that the uh, early Christians uh, agreed upon in the very wake, the very... Uh, immediate time after Christ's death and resurrection. What do we agree that we just saw happen, that, is experienced, that we experienced happening? This particular creed about the death, 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus on the third day, scholars can date this creed back to within five years of the resurrection itself. And I point this out because we often hear it today. People say, it's been 2,000 years since the church began. We don't know anymore what the early church believed. We don't know what the early church taught because things have changed over time. And folks, that's just not true. We know exactly what the early church believed. We know exactly what the early church taught. Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians 15, is only 20 years after the resurrection took place. And it was, they taught about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus changing lives. And what he quoted actually goes to within five years of that actually taking place. So this is the solid truth of the church that has stood the test of time. Now, this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it's not just what the early church taught. It's something that we see prophetically talked about in the Old Testament, either through prophecies or types. For instance, after Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible tells us that he met with two of his apostles on the Emmaus Road, and he talked to them, and look what he said. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Boy, that would have been a cool Bible study, wouldn't it? To have Jesus go through the Old Testament and show like all the places in the Old Testament that prophetically pointed to his death, burial, and resurrection, that would have been great. You know, when unbelieving Jews asked Jesus for a sign, a sign that he was indeed the long-awaited Messiah. He gave them this sign. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 12. And he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. No sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah, like, figuratively died for three days and three nights by being swallowed by a great fish in the Old Testament. And then he was vomited back to new life. Jesus says, I will literally die and be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights and then come back to life. So Jonah is a type of me. He pointed forward to me. At Pentecost, after Jesus' resurrection, Peter quoted Psalm 16, Psalm 16 is a psalm that David wrote, and he points out that when David wrote this psalm, David could not have been talking about himself. He must have been talking about someone much greater than himself. Let me show you what, how this quote works. It's from Acts chapter 2. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, 
that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter said, David wrote Psalm 16, and in that Psalm he talks about how there would be a descendant who would not be abandoned to Hades, not be left in the grave, and his flesh would not rot in the grave. Well, it can't be talking about himself. Uh, David's grave's over here. His body's been rotted to dust. He must have been talking about a different one of his descendants, and that was Jesus. Jesus was not abandoned to Hades, which is the realm of the dead. No, he came back to life. Jesus' body did not rot in the grave, but it rose from the grave and was transformed into new life. So Peter says, David, in Psalm 16, being a prophet, prophetically talked about Jesus' death and resurrection a long time before it ever happened. This is nothing new. This is not a new plan. This has always been God's plan. Psalm 22 also prophetically talks about Jesus' death. It says this, For dogs encompass me. A band of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me, and they divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. That was written hundreds of years before Jesus died on the cross. But that's exactly what happened when Jesus died on the cross. They pierced his hands and his feet's feet with nails. The Jewish leaders stared at him. They gloated over him. Finally, we've got you on the cross. The Roman soldiers cast lots, it says, and divided Jesus' clothing among them. Exactly what happened, prophetically talked about with details and accuracy hundreds of years before it happened. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing forward prophetically to Jesus. Take another Old Testament quote from Isaiah 52 or 53. And this talks about what Jesus did when he died on the cross. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's our wickedness. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is the sin of our, all of us was laid upon Jesus and he died for our sins. So over and over again, either in direct prophecy or in figures of speech, the Old Testament points to Jesus coming to die for our sins and rise from the grave. So we've seen two pieces of evidence that the resurrection is true. Number one is the changed lives of anyone who trusts in him, from the Corinthians on to us. Number two is the evidence of the Bible. And the Bible has prophetically talked about this for many years in advance. Number three is the evidence of the eyewitnesses. Paul continues. And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Now, throughout history, 
the testimony of honest and reliable eyewitnesses are some of the most rock solid pieces of evidence, especially in a court of law. If a lawyer has three eyewitness testimonies in a case, their conviction rate rises to over 99%. And Paul is telling us here, folks, there's a lot more than three witnesses to the resurrected Jesus who met him, who touched him, who talked with him, and who will swear on their own life that Jesus is indeed alive. And he starts to give us a list of some of these. The first one he gives us is Peter. Jesus appeared to Peter. Now, Peter is the first apostle that the resurrected Jesus appeared to. Now, we don't know the exact time when he appeared to Peter or the exact location when he appeared to Peter. We just know he appeared to Peter sometime between resurrection morning when he appeared to the women and resurrection evening when he appeared to all the rest of the apostles. Uh, but we do know this. We don't know why Jesus appeared to Peter separately and why he appeared to him privately, but here's my guess. We know that before Jesus' crucifixion, Peter failed Christ miserably, didn't he? He denied even knowing him three times. I think Jesus appeared to Peter after his resurrection, not because Peter deserved to see Jesus, but because Peter needed to see the resurrected Jesus. He needed to see the fact that he indeed rose from the grave. And he's, there's your first eyewitness. Jesus also appeared to the disciples. The first time uh, the resurrected Jesus appeared to his disciples was on the evening of Resurrection Sunday. At that time, we know Thomas was not present. Uh, all the other apostles told Thomas, yes, we just met Jesus who's resurrected from the grave. We, we touched him. We, we, we talked with him. Thomas, he's really here. But Thomas swore up and down, I will not believe that. Dead people go to the grave. Dead people don't come out of the grave. You cannot convince me that way. And he swore up and down that Jesus didn't rise from the grave. He didn't, come, he didn't come back from the dead. Then, one week later, on after the first resurrection Sunday, the Bible tells us that Jesus appeared again to his apostles. Except this time, Thomas was with them. And Jesus says to Thomas, hey, go at it, buddy. Put your hands right in my wounds. Touch me and see I'm not a ghost. I'm not an apparition. And Jesus even said, can I have some food? I want to eat some food. Ghosts don't eat. And Thomas was completely blown away. My Lord and my God. Now, interestingly, if you go through the other occurrences, you find that Jesus appeared to his apostles alive, where they touched him, where they talked with him, where Jesus ate food in front of them, and Jesus one time even cooked breakfast for them five times. And those are just the times recorded in the Bible. Maybe it was more than five times the resurrected Jesus uh, uh, appeared to them. So the apostles were rock solid sure that this wasn't like some kind of a bad dream, that Jesus rose from the dead. 
they actually saw it and experienced this. Now, if Jesus was still dead, all the Jews needed to do, or the Romans needed to do, to discredit this claim of the apostles that Jesus rose from the dead would be produce a body. All they needed to do was drag that body through town and say, hey, he looks pretty dead to me. What's this silly teaching that Jesus rose from the dead? Here he is. But you know, they couldn't produce a body because they didn't have a body, even though we know that the tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers who guarded that tomb with their life. But what happened was Jesus came out of the grave and the body was gone, so there was no body to produce. In addition, uh, we know that all of the apostles, minus one we should say, uh, died brutal deaths, swearing that Jesus was indeed alive, confident that Jesus was alive because they had met him, touched him, and talked with him. Now folks, People may die for a conviction they believe is true, but people will not die for a concoction they know is false. If the disciples were making it up, if they agree that this is some kind of a party gag, they're all gonna agree that Jesus rose from the dead and we're gonna lie to everybody, they would not die a torturous death swearing indeed it was true. They'd only be willing to be tortured to death, unwilling to recant if they were 100% confident it was true and they experienced the resurrected Jesus. Just so you know, Peter died being crucified upside down, swearing that Jesus was indeed alive. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Simon, they were crucified, swearing Jesus was alive. Matthew died by the sword, swearing Jesus was alive. Thaddeus died by arrows, swearing Jesus was alive. Thomas was killed with a spear, swearing Jesus was alive. The only one who didn't die after swearing Jesus was alive was the Apostle John. Though they did boil him in oil, he just happened to look like a cooked French fry and he lived to tell about it. Once again, he swore that Jesus was indeed alive. So you have Peter is an incredible eyewitness because he didn't believe. And then you have the apostles, credible eyewitnesses. And then he gives us another example. Jesus appeared to the 500, he says. Now, the 500 is a lot of people that the resurrected Jesus appeared to at once. This was not a group hallucination. A group does not hallucinate about a resurrected Jesus when they touch that Jesus, when they talk with that Jesus, and they meet with that Jesus. That's not a group hallucination. That's a group fact. And Paul says, you doubt that Jesus appeared alive? Many of these 500 that he appeared to at one time are still alive. Remember, this was only written 20 years after the resurrection. He says, reach out to them on Facebook Messenger. Uh, connect with them. Talk with them. Visit them. You'll find out, indeed, I'm telling the truth. Then he says, Jesus also appeared to James. Uh, who is James? James is what I would call the reluctant eyewitness. Most Bible scholars believe that the James that is being talked about here is the James who is known as the half-brother of Jesus. The James who eventually ends up writing the book of James that is in your Bible. Jesus had Mary as his mother, 
and God as his father. But James had Mary as his mother, but Joseph as his father. And so he was growing up with Jesus in the house, which by the way, must have been sort of rough when your older brother was always the perfect child. Could never do anything wrong. And when Jesus began his ministry, and Jesus is healing the sick, and Jesus is raising the dead, James, the half-brother of Jesus, did not believe in him. He thought he was some kind of, like, David Copperfield, some kind of magician who's tricking people. But what would move James from not believing in Jesus when he was on earth, even though he was healing the sick and raising the dead, to all of a sudden James going to praying to his half-brother Jesus, worshiping his half-brother Jesus, and seeing Jesus, his half-brother, as the Savior of the world, what would be the only thing that could make that huge, incredible change? James, the half-brother, meeting, touching, talking with the resurrected Jesus Christ that he knew had died. Now, there is another piece of evidence here. It's the evidence of Paul, who is a unique eyewitness. Paul says this, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. That was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Remember, Paul was not one of the original apostles. Paul was somebody who came along later, and he was an active persecutor of anyone who believed in Jesus, anyone who trusted in Jesus. He went out of his way to make sure they were arrested, that Christians were put in prison, because he was so anti-Jesus. But then as it says in Acts chapter 9, on the Damascus road, the resurrected Jesus appeared to Paul, knocking him on his backside, and Paul quickly said, oh boy, I made a huge mistake. And he made a massive 180 and began telling everyone across the entire ancient world the amazing truth that Jesus is indeed alive. And I've met him and I've talked with him. Well, the last piece of evidence here is the evidence of the common message. Paul writes this in, in verse 11. So whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. In other words, for the last 2,000 years, the unified message of the church is that Jesus, the very Son of God, took on human flesh, that he died on the cross in our place for our sins. He was buried and then he rose to new life on the third day. And anyone who trusts in Jesus' death on the cross to forgive their sin will have their sins forgiven. And you trust in Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection to new life, he will give you new life beginning now and experiencing that through all eternity. That has been the unified message of the church for the last 2,000 years. And Paul says, if that wasn't true, the death and resurrection of Jesus, trust me, the church would have moved on to something else. 
but because we've stuck to that. And it's still changing lives. We know it is indeed true. Now, I examined what is the biblical evidence that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 15 for the fact that the resurrection is rock-solid truth. But sometimes people will say, you know, why is the evidence always in the Bible? If Jesus rose from the dead, wouldn't we see that outside of the Bible? Why is the church the only place we find this stuff? Why don't we find that kind of stuff in secular history? Now, I'm thankful you asked that question because many people don't realize that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is talked about in secular history in the ancient world. It is abundantly talked about in the newspapers of the ancient world, not just in the books of the Bible that we have in our church. Uh, Let me give you a quote here from John Warwick Montgomery. He says, we have 39 documents that record history from the time of Jesus. 22 of those documents discuss the death and resurrection of Jesus. 11 of those 22 are non-Christian in origin. That's a lot of stuff. Tacitus, the Roman historian, not a Christian, talks about the death and resurrection of Jesus in his ancient histories. Josephus, a Jewish historian working for Rome, not a Christian, talks about the death and resurrection of Jesus in his antiquities of the Jews. It's in secular sources of history. So this is factually true. Folks, when people say to you, did the resurrection of Jesus actually happen? Or was it just a hoax that has been pushed upon us by news sources from the ancient world? You know the answer. The answer is there is abundant evidence, tons of evidence, that Jesus Christ did indeed rise from the dead. Uh, There's the evidence of people's changed lives. There's the evidence of secular history. There's the evidence of tons, hundreds of eyewitnesses. There's the evidence of the prophecy in the ancient in the Old Testament that is now being fulfilled in the New, it's all over the place. The resurrection of Jesus is a rock-solid fact that you can base your hope in this life and your hope for eternity upon. But that brings us to our second question. What happens if the resurrection was just historical fiction? And verses 12 through 19 answered that question. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, folks, we will not rise from the dead. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Now, for some of the Corinthian Christians, they were okay with the idea that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, after all, Jesus is like God. I mean, God could rise from the dead, but us, we are not going to rise from the dead. People go into a graveyard, but people don't come out of a graveyard. And Paul says, well, that may sound true, but think about what you're saying. It can't be true. Jesus took on flesh. He was already fully God, wasn't he? but he took on flesh so he could be fully man and completely identify with us. 
Jesus left heaven and became one of us to completely identify with us in order to save us. That is the big E on the Jesus I chart, right? That's why he took on flesh, to save us. Only, uh, Jesus didn't just, he came to die for our sin, and to, the only reason Jesus came was to die and to save us from our sin. Jesus died for our sin. He didn't die on the cross for his sin. Jesus didn't rise from the grave to save his life. He rose from the grave to save our life. Our resurrection and Jesus' resurrection are completely connected together. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose not for himself, but to save you and me. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we would have no resurrection for ourselves of the dead. Secondly, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, well, the church then is just a joke. Paul says that in verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the church that gathers around the world, the gospel message that is preached every Sunday and today would just be a complete joke. It would be based on Jesus. If he died on the cross and stayed dead, there'd be no big deal. People died on Roman crosses all the time. Jesus, if he's still dead, there'd be no reason to pray to him there'd be no reason to worship him. There'd be no reason to sing to him. Jesus would be just like every other religious leader in the world if he died and stayed dead. You notice that? Muhammad, Islam, he died, stayed dead. We know where his grave is. We know where his body is. Buddha, the same thing. Krishna, the same thing. Every religious leader died and stayed dead. Jesus died and he rose from the dead. And there's abundant historical evidence of it, which means that Jesus Christ is different from every other religious leader, which means Jesus Christ is indeed alive and he is indeed right and all the other religious leaders who disagree with him are indeed wrong because they died and are in the grave. But somebody who died and rose from the grave, that's somebody you want to trust. That's somebody you want to believe. If Jesus didn't die, or excuse me, if he didn't rise, there is no reason for us to be in church on Sunday. There's no reason for us to worship on Sunday because all of this would be a joke. Next, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, Christians are actually dishonest people. Paul says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we have testified about God that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, whom he did not raise. If it is true, the dead are not raised. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead and his body composed, decomposed in the ground, or his body was eaten by dogs in a trash heap, then the apostles and hundreds of others who have claimed to touch Jesus after he rose, talk with Jesus after he rose, eat with Jesus after he rose, are dishonest people. They're all liars. And Christians today 
who tell others how Jesus has changed their heart, has made, changed their life, and made them into a new person, they're dishonest people too. So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christians are the worst of people out there, not the best of people. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we have no forgiveness of our sins. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And notice this, you are still in your sins. When Jesus rose from the grave, that proved that his payment for our sin on the cross was complete. It was full that our sin is paid for. And if Jesus died and stayed in the grave, folks, we have no forgiveness of our sin. We are still facing an eternity judgment for our sin. And as Paul says in Romans, the longer we live, all we do is heap up more darkness and wickedness of our sin. If Jesus doesn't forgive our sin, it'd be better to live a short life with less sin than have a long life with more sin. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, there's no hope of seeing our loved ones, Paul says. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, Paul says, have perished. When someone who trusts in Christ dies, we often say it's not a time of, I'll see you no more but at the time of, I'll see you later. Because when someone who is trusted in Christ dies, they they talk about the fact they're going to be with Jesus. And one day, again, their loved ones who have trusted him will be with them in heaven. And when our loved ones die, when they trust in Jesus, we look forward to a reunion in the future when we see our loved ones again. But if Jesus did not rise... The truth is that when our loved ones die, they face judgment. And when we die, we face judgment. And there will not be a reunion in eternity, in a time of peace and joy. It'll be a torment in eternity. It means grandma, who when she was on her deathbed and she said to her grandchildren, don't worry, grandma is dying now. Grandma is going to be with Jesus and grandma will be waiting for you when you come to see Jesus, that she'd be dead wrong. Because all grandma did was her body turned to mulch. Her body now pushes up daisies and that's it. Because grandma's body will never rise again if Jesus did not rise. And she won't ever see her grandchildren again if Jesus did not rise. Now if Jesus did not rise from the dead, those who follow Christ, he says, are just fools. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus didn't rise, and for the last 2,000 years, the church has been following a dead man who stayed dead, boy, are we a bunch of nutcases. We're a bunch of fools who are praying to a dead guy whose body's in the ground because he can't touch your life. He can't change your life. He can't save your life. But here's the good news, folks. If the resurrection was historical fact, or excuse me, if the resurrection was historical fiction, we have everything lose to lose. But since the resurrection is historical fact, 
folks, we have every single thing to gain. The evidence of the resurrection is abundant and solid. Jesus indeed rose from the dead. And if the resurrection wasn't true, we have so much to lose. There's no hope for tomorrow. There's no forgiveness of your sins. There's no new life to be found if Jesus Christ is still in the grave. Now today, if you came in here this morning and you are already a Christian and you've trusted in Jesus, my hope for you is you leave today with great confidence that your Savior, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead, that he is alive, that he has forgiven all of your sins, and he loves you. And if you came in here this morning and you didn't know Jesus as your Savior, my hope for you is that you heard the solid facts of the resurrection. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit has softened your heart and that today, in the quietness of your spirit, you would call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, may your death on the cross please forgive all of my sin because you paid for it in full. And may your resurrection to new life, may you give me new life in my heart today. So I would be, as uh, the Bible says, literally born again and made into a new person by your resurrection power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that the facts of the resurrection are solid. And we often sometimes forget what would happen if the resurrection wasn't true and how much we would have to lose. I pray that you would give us great confidence in the fact that Jesus, you are alive and you are good to us and you have forgiven us and you have wonderful plans for us. May that always be our hope and joy. And for someone here who may not know you, I pray that today, before they leave this room, in their heart they would call out asking you to forgive their sin and make them into a new person. And may the resurrection of power of Jesus that was experienced on that first Easter morning when you rose to new life, may it make them into a new person from the inside out today. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.